This is TDPS. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And it is sticky in our studio. Is that the for your tone of voice? Is that what it counts for? You it's, were just this super casual guy. It was like FM from the 80s. Like, <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. Did I shift when I said sticky in the studio? Yes. I did, yes, because I was getting ready to complain. We're having an interesting period. I have the... Um, we're. I think most people and people who are, you know... Uh, have removed their heads from their posteriors, have agreed that we are having some kind of climate change on the planet currently. Mm -hmm. Um, And I figure if we're going to have to have it, then I would like for Los Angeles to become a tropical environment, Mm. more rain, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, a damper environment. And I'm kind of getting my wish this summer. It has been hot, but it has been un believably humid, which just isn't a thing here. No. Like I've actually had, I have an electronic device that keeps up with the weather on my patio, mm-hmm. and I think probably beyond because my patio isn't sealed. Um, and I frequently get 0% humidity readings. Mm-hmm. Like it is frequently one and two and nothing here. And all summer long, it has been like 80 and 90% humidity, which is 
New Orleans territory. I used to ridicule people here when they said that it was humid. I said, you don't know humidity. I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, and now I no longer ridicule them because I think we are almost there. You are correct, sir. You yeah. are correct. Like, correct. Nobody, I've never, nobody has said it's 100% humidity because I feel like if it's 100% humidity, it should be raining. Um, uh, right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like I've always thought, really? Mm. Yeah. No, I think that's actually raining. Yes. Um, but yeah, but very high uh, moisture in the air. I, I I hope it has helped with the fire situation here. And, you know, if we have to pick, I would rather that than the Sahara Desert. I will say this, this was so weird about this recent heat wave we're coming out of, is it felt like usual Southern California blast furnace arid heat. And then at the it ended with a hurricane hitting, almost hitting San Diego, or it did hit San Diego, yeah. or it was a tropical storm by the time it did. And we had rain, and then it immediately turned from desert heat into the kind of humidity that you're describing. It was right. like both, back to back. It was, I, my it head was It was like spinning. summer thunderstorms, yeah. which, like I remember, and not like, well, we don't have them here, so yeah, it's not really. There's no basis for comparison. It's been very unusual weather. It has been a change in climate, yeah, here, and it seems like maybe that it is that something along the lines of a more tropical kind of, because we're in that part of the globe, right? There's tropical places parallel with us, I think. Mm. Geography. Uh, in other parts of the planet. <laughs> I, there are cer- I, what I think we're going to discover is there are certain advantages to living in an arid climate or things we have come to take for granted, like just leaving patio furniture outside. Or just furniture. Yeah. When I first moved here, I was like, that's just furniture. How is that sitting outside? Mm-hmm. I worked at USC for a while, and they would store, like, banquet chairs just outside, just in a stack. And I was like— yeah. These are outside. What happens when it rains? And people were like, oh. <laughs> I saw an article in the L.A. Times the other day that said, now that we're having such terrible heat waves in Southern California, are we going to consider including any form of shade in our bus stops? Because <laughs> that's like all of our bus stops are just benches because we have no real rain deterrence here. Like I remember going to the ATM for the first time here when it rained and realizing there was no cover. In Louisiana, it would have been this big cubby hole that you would have stepped into. Yeah, because, you in know. New York, you would have right. had, it would have been an enclosed room that you had to use your car to get access to right. before you even got to the thing, so that when it was snowing, you could actually be inside and not freeze to death. Right. But yeah, but here, yeah, it's just sort of like, yeah, there it is. Yeah, they they also have um, hamburger stands here that are just sort of like. Um, bar stools screwed into the sidewalk. Right. Like, it's like if you're walking along the street and your your hamburger levels suddenly drop to a dangerous <laughs> low, you can just fall onto a bar stool and say, burger me. Emergency burger, please. Burger me, babe. And Emergency. bam, out of Tommy's and Irv's and there's a whole host of- um, Irv's is back, you know. Irv's God. Burgers has been saved by the Hollywood community. West Hollywood institution. It has changed location several times, but it's back. I ordered them on Postmates a few weeks ago. And they used to have, right down the street from me, they used to have bar stools screwed yeah. right into the sidewalk on Santa Monica Boulevard. It was really a crack up. And then they just roll up the, yeah. the I don't know, the guard or the, it's like a garage door, but like for 
Went for the windows. That was the appeal of West Hollywood when I first got here, that it was like America's premier gay strip mall. That it was gay, but it wasn't very <laughs> fancy. It was like there was a store, and it was right here, and there were stools on the sidewalk. And, and it was a lot fancier by the time you got here than yeah. it was previously. I, Yeah, it was very, very plain. Irv's was there. There was a... a a gas a automobile repair place mm-hmm. on that same corner that's now that um, fancy outdoor dining right. um, establishment. I can't remember the name. Conservatory. Of it. The conservatory. Right. Yes, that's sniff sniff. Conservatory. Um, the yeah. building across the street that's now City Hall was um, an out of business auction hall mm. that was had windows filled with um, all these strange old household items. Like from like some Shaw had right. uh, turned over all of his stuff. To be <laughs> right, totally. They got out of business, and they had those uh, those those doors, those accordion doors that right. were just metal that you could see through, closed over the glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the, and it had a, a cornice on it that was like um, the Kennedy Center or something. That kind of style of architecture. Right. When they made the city hall, they had to bring in a jackhammer and have somebody go up a story and stand on that thing and jackhammer it off because it was just cornice wow. it was just reinforced cement and wow. it was days and wow. a horrible racket I bet eventually yeah it has become a much more sophisticated area indeed steadily more sophisticated over time I you know which has been a source of some controversy in the community blah 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 we don't give a shit we like nice things um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was there was an effort made to yep. make it a controversy right. in the community, and the community went, eh. yeah, because it also accompanied things like, "Who are all these children in our parks?" And they're like, "They're ours, guys. <laughs> they're We've been asking to be included in family values, and we have been. So mm-hmm. shut the fuck up. Right. Do it in the bathroom if you want to, but knock it off about the kids being in the park. Right. Totally. It was really. It has been an interesting transition. It's sort yeah. of like, um. An all-adult apartment community goes co-ed and invites children. Right. Suddenly, we're all everybody in the neighborhood has been like, "What's happening?" Well, the thing that they um, always say is that, and I don't know how true this is. It sounds like what they call a zombie narrative, which is it just gets stuck. <laughs> People keep saying it. So you've got West Hollywood. You've got all these gay men here. You've got some lesbians, but honestly, I don't think the lesbian population has ever been as big as the gay male population. And so single women move here because they feel safe, and then they stay, and then they get married, and then suddenly you have their straight husbands walking dogs and being hit on, and whatever. I don't know if demographically there's that much truth to that. I, My favorite was the, the, the East-West Hollywood trend. We were, we were largely settled in the 90s by um, uh, Russian Jews escaping— mm-hmm. um, you know, as the walls fell and yeah. freedom happened, they yeah. they escaped and settled in on West Hollywood, and uh, so. But they were still their children were still influenced by yes. their environment. So you had these you know young Russian toughs growing up on the streets wearing tube tops and platform shoes right. because that's what people in the neighborhood wore. It was like that's really hmm, I love that though. That's a really interesting cultural I choice. I love it. It's our cultural it supremacy. Really, it was really fun. Absolutely. That's wonderful. 
Um, but I, you reminded me of something else about West Hollywood. We were talking about the burger stands, the stools nailed into the sidewalk, and it just went out of my head. But um, well, I'm so glad you brought it up. I'm so glad. <laughs> it's like it's like thank I, heavens we can you know all not think, know what it is. You know now. what I think podcasting is like. You know what they say about. Um, a lawyer in a trial never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to or she doesn't know the answer to on the stand, of anyone on the yes. stand. Sometimes that's true of podcasting, too. Like turning to someone like your co-host and saying, any final thoughts? Right. When they've um, not, you've not discussed any final thoughts? Yeah, that's how we started this. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I, I know what you're going to say to this if I put you on crap. the spot. What? We have arrived at our selection for this episode, or I should say you have arrived at our selection for this installment of True Crime TV Club. And there's a story. Yes, and that's what I want you to tell. There's a story here. Okay, so this, irrespective of when you actually end up listening to this podcast, its, its initial launch date is just immediately adjacent to the autumnal equinox mm. of 2022. <laughs> and I thought, as as we plan out what we're going to do the podcast about, and this is a true crime TV club week, I thought, ooh, equinox serial killer. That sounds like, you know, some sort of strange, uh-huh. mystical, um, semi-occult-based uh killing spree or that only happens on October and it's been happening in the same region of some country or state or whatever for <laughs> all these years, only at the autumnal and vernal equinoxes. You know, like right. all of I have this whole picture in my head. So I go to Google and I type because I couldn't wasn't seeing it on on um my fire. So I went to Google and typed in um Equinox Murders. Mm-hmm. And there was an immediate response. <laughs> And uh, uh, our our neighborhood gym is called Equinox, and it's a chain around the country you may or may not have heard of. And there was apparently a a mass shooting at one of them and uh, murders involved. And there's even a – there was a True Crime TV Club episode, and I thought, well, okay. Okay. This is our Equinox murder. That's it. That's the only – That's how we arrived. You went looking for something spiritual and cosmic. Spooky. And the algorithms that run our world coughed up a superficial gym story. We're coughing. We're we're trying to do a sort of lead up to the – the Halloween season, and instead we're going to have a gem story, which yeah. still is great, and it was exactly what we were looking for. So our equi- equinox murder right. is going to be in Carl Gables, Florida. And the episode that we're going to discuss for you, serve up for you, is uh, an episode of a show called Killer Bods, B-O-D-S. That's kind of catchy, huh? The, the episode title is Pride and Payback. It's season one, episode two. It's available on Discovery Plus and wherever their programs are streamable. I think it's ID. Discovery ID. Yeah. Discovery ID, if you want to watch. For free, if yeah. you watch the commercials, exactly. So you can anybody can watch it if you want to, but you don't have to because we're getting ready to spoil the shit out of it. So you can just listen to us, and we'll tell you the That's whole thing. That's the idea. The idea is that you don't have to listen to the episode, and we have what we call here the Cindy Conforti rule. Our party person Cindy Conforti said that she hates watching these episodes and instead only enjoys our serving up of them. 
because we are us. I hope there's more than Cindy out there who feels that way. I think I think there are. I'm glad it's Cindy, and we're glad to be there for you, girl. But um, yeah, I'm hoping that there's literally hundreds, maybe even dozens, dozens <laughs> and dozens of people. Uh, but we have made Cindy our figurehead in this right. movement. That's the rule. She got the rule named after her because she was the first one to say it. Yeah, exactly. That's how it works on the page. Indeed. It's like Lord of the Flies, except without <laughs> flies. It's a Lord of the Flies party, nonstop. <laughs> All right, should we dive in? Are you ready? Should we go? Uh, how long do we have left, Brandon? Oh, yeah. I think we could get a start. Brandon says we have three minutes left in okay. this segment. So let's go. We can, get, we can at least introduce people to beautiful Carl Gables, Coral Gables, Come Florida. Come with us now, if you will, to beautiful Carl Gables. Where in Florida is Carl Gables? It's just outside Miami. It may even be technically part of Miami, but it's right there. If you go to Miami on book tour, you would often do an event in Coral Gables. They had a wonderful bookstore there forever called Books and Books. I don't know if it's still around. Um, this is not technically about me, so you shouldn't be drinking right now. This is about book tour and travel and Miami geography. So in general. It's a, just that. a general sort of yeah. Miami travelogue. It's I ask you the question. So very, yeah. It's like the Beverly Hills of Miami. That's my experience of it. Oh, it's very wow. upscale. Yeah, very upscale. Uh, so uh, in this uh, beautiful, lush neighborhood, there is a mall called Merrick Park. And it is described to us as a place for Floridians with money to burn. It's also home to a sprawling, exclusive health club, and that is an Equinox gym. And as we said earlier, we are both members of our Equinox gym here in West Hollywood. We do not work for Equinox gym. We are not endorsed by Equinox gym. We do not endorse Equinox gym. We are completely biased. They seem fine, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it is our gym, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say that whenever they call something exclusive, it usually means that none of the members actually feel they truly belong there. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's it's really, so what, I yeah. would, wouldn't want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member or whatever. Who's in that, the Groucho Marx Groucho thing? Marx, right. I, I, I just remember the night I walked in there to work out, not feeling so great about myself and my general health, and Pierre Buskelli, a supermodel, widely known and... Instagrammed, walks out past me, and then Brock O'Hearn walks out past me, another supermodel who has been on romance novel covers and is known for his man body. And it was just like, why try? That was the voice in my head. Why try if this is the competition? But that's life in West Hollywood. <laughs> I know. I it's know. like all of the m supermodels and uh, soap opera stars and porn stars oh, yeah. and com uh, Diet Coke TV commercial uh Models and uh, you know all of the beautiful people are like, and the thing that hap starts to happen in West Hollywood is you see them and you can't remember where you know them from. Right? Like, yeah. Is this actually a friend of mine, or did I see them in one of those aforementioned places, some um, uh, spread in GQ magazine or uh, Falcon videos, mm -hmm. or who knows where it is? I might have seen them. Where did they actually come from? And right. It, but it creates a kind of baseline. Yes. And, and an imperviousness. Also, other people at the gym are not your competition. I am not a model. It was a ridiculous thing to think of myself. But it was just an excuse not to work out, and I didn't listen, and I went in, and I did it anyway, because that's what we do at Equinox. We work out. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. 
At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. So swimsuit competition is over, yes, but not at the Equinox and Carl Gables, apparently. Not. And the highlight of the gym is the personal trainers, as the narration tells us. Would you say that's a highlight of a gym for you, Eric Shaquin, the personal trainers? No. No. What's the highlight of a gym for you? Um, getting a good workout. Getting a good workout. Actually, my the thing that's the most important to me at the gym is the quality of the, the workout and the equipment, but really the cleanliness of the of the gym has always been my yes my number one yeah absolutely thing because sometimes gyms can be like oh wow um, there are two personal trainers who are interviewed in this special they are both very very easy on the eyes and they are sitting for interviews so we know that they're not the criminals or the crime department or we don't know that actually at the beginning of the special Angel Nicholas and Hamad Shirazi are both interviewed. Angel says something that I think is, hmm, he says, the trainers at Equinox want to be trainers full-time. I happen to know that is not the case in Los Angeles, that many of the trainers at Equinox want to be movie stars Well, full-time. everyone in Los Angeles wants to be a movie <laughs> star, so uh, grocery workers and right. lawyers, everybody here wants to be a movie star at some <laughs> level, so you really can't, this isn't, maybe not a fair sample. Right. In the close quarters of a gym, the narration tells us strong bonds are often formed. And they're not just talking about the steam room, you know what I mean? Waka um, waka. Waka waka. Angel says a trainer typically arrives at 5.30 a.m. and sometimes trains clients until 10 p.m. And that you become very close with the other trainers. Well, in 2009, at the Merrick Park Equinox in Coral Gables, Florida, five new trainers started together at the same time. And despite what we were just told, no evidence of their extremely close bonds or any kind of hot story as a result of their extremely <laughs> close bonds um, ever evolved. They play weekly basketball games together, which but is that's like, about it. Which I all, which is enough to put me to sleep. Their names are Ubeku, Arthur, Julio, Angel, and Hamad. And Angel and Hamad will be interviewed throughout the special. It's like the. United Colors of Benetton um, casting. It is. It's call. perfect. It's the perfect blend of very diverse. The best that the world has to offer, and I mean, they are gorgeous. These they are, are some absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous people. Ubeku is a star among them. He's 25 years old. He has no problem attracting clientele, especially women or anything else. Uh, he uh, offers to serve as a mentor to Hamad, who is one of our interview subjects. Hamad tells us that Ubeku had an amazing work ethic. He was respectful. He was likable. He was always smiling. He was also a part-time model with a business degree and a master in several martial arts. He delivered results for high-profile clients, and he was loved in the gym. Okay. Or wherever else he wanted to be loved, apparently. And there's some pictures that are very lovable. I'll just say that much. Then he started competing as a bodybuilder, and I have a and lot to say. Yes, this is the part of the, the the development in the story that I think maybe mm-hmm. doesn't get enough uh, attention. It but we'll go not. on from from here. Just just put a pen in that as mm-hmm. we move forward. But he begins competing as a bodybuilder. He also is allegedly uh, he becomes adept at using social media to recruit new clients. 
He's out earning the managers at this point, and he can tailor his own schedule. And because he's working with high-end clientele, they can all afford to meet him in the middle of the day. They're not working, basically. They're really rich. Um, in fact, one of the things they said was that while some of the other po- members of that little group, that little cabal that he was a part of, went on to become members of the management team, right. he didn't because he was doing so well mm-hmm. just from training, and it allowed him the flexibility that he needed to keep up with his competitive bodybuilding. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and then two statements are made at the and same— And also sleeping with everybody at the hotel. I gym. was going to say, two statements are made at the same time, and it's one of those things— where it's like the narration didn't didn't wasn't clear on which one happened first. He's going through a divorce and he's very flirtatious and a Casanova. And they try to sort of make it sound like, oh, he was just dealing with the divorce by banging every woman that he could at the gym. And it's like, yeah, or he started that before. But that's, and that's, but that's the vague. reason for the divorce. But that's vague. It's yeah. never, like, they talk about how popular he was and how everybody was attracted to him before the divorce ever comes up. So I'm like, yeah. Mm. There's a monthly report issue, and I know this to be true at the Equinox in Los Angeles because my trainers lived in fear of this, of the sessions earned by the individual trainers. And boy, that was a bad day. If my trainer was not, did not place near the top, that was all we talked about for the whole session. But uh, Ubeku is always at <laughs> That's the top. so professional. I, know. <laughs> I love that. It's just, I don't know what he's doing. He gets all the clients. I don't know. I'm doing fine. <laughs> um but I will say this, my observation, the one at the top was never the best looking one. The one at the top who was uh, earning the most sessions had the best uh, method of communication with their clients. They had, a, they had a skill for motivations. I sound like I'm running a fitness clinic here, but it was always interesting to see the person at the top was not the winner of the swimsuit competition. Did Which that, is good to hear yeah. because what you want is somebody who's knowledgeable about the field. Right. Although I think it's important that they also be in reasonably good shape because if they can't do it. Right, exactly. You know, this is one of those cases where if those who can't teach doesn't really apply. No, it's not exactly. Job of the Hut will not be getting a lot of trainer clients just because people are going, yeah, this is not the body type I'm going for. Right, totally. But thank you. So um, we've gone now from 2009 to 2015. After six years of riding high, the narration tells us, Ubeku buys himself a new car, and someone fills it with, and I'm quoting now, strange objects. The, the strange objects they picked for the show were um, pool noodles. Right. Which was like, okay, those little round, they're like they're like foam, and they right, float, right. But they, and they're hollow, and they're long and cylindrical. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it was a pretty harmless prank. I remember, um, oh, what is Emily Blunt's husband's name? John Krasinski. John Krasinski filled Jimmy Kimmel's car with ping pong balls. That's fun. The whole car. So, like, I guess they put him in through the... The skylight or something, so, but literally, <laughs> so that when you open the door, millions of, of ping pong balls came pouring out of the car. I thought, wow, that's really, A, extravagant, and B, hysterically funny. But Ubeko does not find this funny. He did not And people think it was find funny. his reaction suspicious. He is so angry. I mean. And it's, he calls the police, and it's quickly revealed that some co-workers of his did it as a prank, and they come out and out themselves, and Ubeko orders them to be Has arrested. Has them arrested. And it's, everyone's like, Ubeko, what's going on, man? Right, lighten the fuck up. Yeah. Again, this is after mm-hmm. professional bodybuilding has become one of his hobbies. 
Uh, ultimately, no charges are filed because it's a dumb prank that it doesn't sound like it even damaged his car. It no. just was annoying. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was, if it wasn't pool noodles, it was something equivalent to that. It was just I funny. just wondered if it was sexual, like if it was some implication about a sex. Because I'm thinking a big masculine trainer like that, what's going to make him fly off the handle if you imply that he's not 100% straight or if you do so, you know? I just think that the number of dildos it would take to fill up a car. <laughs> Thank you for, you went right there. There. I would was like, cost, what are dildos? It would cost you so much money. Yeah, it's not. Like, that's not a cheap choice. <laughs> really? What's the going rate for a dildo well, these I don't, days? I'm not, I'm not prepared to necessarily <laughs> put that out there, but it's not pool noodle prices. <laughs> like, you can get a lot of pool noodles for not as much money, mm-hmm. and I just think we're not looking at, like, John Krasinski and all those ping pong balls, one of the things I thought of, even at the time, was, wow, how much did it cost to buy all those ping pong balls? I know, because yeah. ping pong balls are not wildly expensive, but yeah. if there's five in a pack for $10, how many five packs would it take to fill a Lexus yeah. SUV? I would think a lot. So, damage has been done to the close-knit Jim family. Right, dun, because dun, dun, Becca dun. was kind of a He's lost his sense of humor. A, or if he had one. But yeah. yeah, there just seems to be a continuing change. But things seem to be developing in his life that may explain that. He's going through a divorce, and they bring in the gym brings in a new general manager, 34 year old Janine Ackerman, who has a reputation from her former uh, professors at hospitality school for being very personal, very smart. She grew up on a farm in South Jersey. She went to Florida International University to study hospitality management. She's worked at several big hotels, and they say her dream job is being GM at an Equinox. And I'm like, is it though? Like, is that your dream job after working? Maybe two hotels soured her on hotel guests for I, life. I thought it was a very sort of murky kind of yeah. pitch. Like, she's unbelievably gorgeous. She's she's beautiful. Just gorgeous. Yeah. And so the the take from her professor is a little over the top. Right. It's like, she was a superstar. She would have gone to the, and I was like, okay, wow. Yes. She was a light who filled the room with light wow, and yes. more light and I wanted her light. Yeah. yeah I was, was just very, like, okay, I think yeah. maybe there's some overselling on this particular, yes. it's like the Dateline episodes where they talk about what a fabulous singer the victim was and then I just they show you a video and it's like, uh oh, that's not true. I love you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like, just, yeah, so she was beautiful, and right. I'm sure she was good at her job, but I think their point initially was that she was young for the job. She was, yes. I don't know, I can't but, even remember, but like late 20s, early 30s, to be the general manager of the of this high-end location was, was a coup. And it sounds like part of her youth and her enthusiasm led her to really investigate in an almost parental way, what was going on with Ubeku? Yeah. Because everybody thought his reaction to the car prank was out of control. Um, but she does something else around the same time. She hires another really top-tier trainer, Mario Ortiz, who is seen as competition for Ubeku. And Mario has been a model on billboards in Times Square. He's got a degree in economics, and he quit his job at a Fortune 500 company to pursue training. 
lot of missing pieces from this lot story. Of big claims again with like, <laughs> but gorgeous, but really gorgeous, gorgeous. just gorgeous. But like, yeah. yeah, okay. So, what was his job at the Fortune 500 company? Like, banging was he, the boss's was he, wife. Was he CFO <laughs> or you know was he male distribution supervisor? You know, like Absolutely. nothing's wrong with that job, but it's not the same job. Um, so, okay, Mario gets hired. Janine is investigating Ubeku, what's going on with him. Specifically, and he does something that I know as an Equinox member to be a cardinal sin among their staff, which is he starts refusing to dress in their company T-shirts. I can't believe that didn't get him. Well, I, he must have not done it for more. He must have done it only once or twice because I know, like the trainers, you are immediately fired I if just, you do that well, shit. I, like, well, you'd be reprimanded, and then if you didn't correct your behavior— yeah. Go to the locker room and put it. It's something so easily remedied. Yeah. It's like here's do it a now. T-shirt. Yeah, I actually happen to have a whole shop full of them. Take one of them and put it on. Yeah, but because you work here, that's ridiculous. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, he's also starting to have more sexual relationships with his clients, and it's starting to give him a reputation. And then he finishes fourth place in a bodybuilding competition, and it quote crumbles his world. During one of the weekly basketball games, which are apparently still going on after since 2009. Because this is such a fascinating bond between these people. (laughs) (laughs) It's a thing, I guess, that straight men like. I don't know. It seems like a lot of trouble. Still not indicative of a bond. They haven't been on a boat trip or barbecued a pig or anything. (laughs) Like all, what have you barbecued a pig well, with your good friends? I'm trying to think of straight guy things that they might do that will be <laughs> other wild boar, other bonding activities, renting a pontoon boat and getting drunk and falling off in Biscayne Bay, something. <laughs> so Janine tries to figure out what is the matter with Ubeku, and she finds out that Ubeku's new girlfriend has been cheating on him. But given that Ubeka was such a stud, she doubts that's all that's wrong right, with him. Right, that seems like... Mm. She reaches out to uh, his ex-wife, and the ex-wife tells Janine that Ubeka's mother has terminal cancer. So and that's, that's kind of pretty a big bad. deal. That's a big deal. And she was very much... Uh, she was pretty important to him, so that's a pretty huge deal. But without getting too far ahead of ourselves, I think you and I zeroed in on the same aspect of this story as we made clear earlier, and we're going to get there, what we think the real problem is. Um, But nobody... Well... Okay. Monday, April 3rd, 2017, Ubeku is training a client, and another trainer accidentally bumps into her, and there's a huge confrontation. I mean... The client believes the other trainer owes her an apology... Apparently, that news is not received well by the other trainer, and somehow we get to Ubeku shoving that trainer up against the wall. Slamming that trainer up against the wall. And then Mario Ortiz jumps in to separate them. So Ubeku's Like your typical Fortune 500 CFO. Exactly. (laughs) Break it it up, guys. (laughs) Break it up. Um this leaves Janine with no choice but to report the scene to the company because it was so egregious and visual, uh, visible. Excuse me. Yeah, I mean it's like at the front desk. So the decision on how to respond is not made by Janine. It's made by corporate, and they decide that Ubeko needs to be fired, and Janine is the one who has to let him know because she's the general manager. Oh, one of the other things that we forgot to mention is that. Um, Ubeku is uh, a black belt 
and has a number yes. of other martial arts achievements. Oh, I mentioned that. And is, did you? Oh, yeah. I didn't remember that Several we had said that earlier. Several degrees in martial arts. Yeah. 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 yeah, so he's he's physically very intimidating. He's not only a huge guy Six, in incredible eight. shape, looks like yeah, enormous, huge. Yeah. and but also trained. Yeah, totally as a fighter. So yeah, there was there was some real the reaction to needing to let him go was not casual. It's like. Con Air. Particularly given the violent response like the, to bumping into his client. The setup for Con Air, right? Nicholas Cage is in jail for the rest of his life because while he was defending someone, he was a trained killer, and so he kills him in a bar fight, and he goes to jail for the rest of his life, which is totally how it works in the legal system always. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. Um, could you stop looking at me with great judgment because I used the movie Con Air as an example of something? I was just really curious how that was going to factor in. <laughs> I didn't. Re- I'm kind of astonished that you have that kind of recall of plot details from, <laughs> from Con, Con Air. Air. Right. I remember a plane crashing and people punching each other. <laughs> That's it. That's no. all I've got. And and Nicolas Cage had long hair. <laughs> Well, the whole point of that movie is why Nicolas Cage is a good guy among terrible Wasn't... convicts. Hold on just a second. And so the plane crashes and he has to take on the other convicts, right? So that's what that's the plot point that makes him good. He didn't mean to kill the guy, but he being, was just such a trained killer. Being, um, what's, it, what, oh, what's his name? Being the movie. Being, John Malkovich, being, yes. Yeah, John Malkovich yes. is in that movie. So, He's like, the villain. We can't really be too dismissive of that movie. No. John Malkovich I'm is a pretty to, serious actor. I'm glad actor. to see you come around. It was, it was a Michael Bay. F- no, it was not Michael Bay. I think I he might have produced it. I just didn't know how it was going to relate to this story. I was like, how Well, I, I think you picked up on something about this story, which I had missed, which is good, which is that Ubeku could have killed someone in that moment of physical confrontation. Yeah, he was... And so the reaction to him was, you know, <laughs> That reminds severe. me of that hysterical scene from Once Upon a Time in 
Hollywood when um, the Bruce Lee character says to mm-hmm. Brad Pitt's character, "Yeah, my my hands are lethal weapons. If right. I if I uh, if I kill somebody with them, um, I will be charged." That's exactly. And he said, "If you kill somebody, you'll be charged anyway." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Like, killing somebody is out. But this is but the, whether your hands are registered as lethal weapons or not. To get back to Con Air, it impacts his sentencing. He gets sentenced to be with the worst airplane because criminals. Hands, I don't, this is not a Con Air appreciation podcast. I'm going to stop. I'm sorry. His I brought hands it. are lethal weapons. Um, Ubeku is going to be fired. Janine is responsible for firing him. Janine knows she needs a strategy, so she calls Ubeku's ex-wife. And the ex-wife tells Janine that Ubeku became aggressive and violent during the divorce. And so she advises Janine to have security on hand at the gym during the termination process. So Janine requests additional guards from the mall's security department. She gets a fellow training manager, uh, a fellow manager who is the personal training manager, Lizanne, to uh, sit in with her during the process. I think she's required to have a witness of some sort. I'm sure. Yeah. Um. Then we get into this really elaborate timeline of how things went down on the day of the firing, which is like, I don't know if we really needed all of this information. Well, I think for there to be a story, they had to tell us this information because (laughs) this is, in the end, a pretty straightforward kind of crime depiction. Like, there is no real investigation. There's just a crime. There's just a crime. And so, and I think we all have a pretty good idea where we're headed. Um, the show isn't smart enough, in my opinion, to really parse the motives for the crime. I think it's very superficial. I'll just get ahead of myself yeah. and say that. Um, but Ubeku is brought in. He is Well, first, Lizanne chickens out. That's what I thought. It's like, are they, but also, are they trying to blame Lizanne? She calls and says, I, totally I can't. totally blame Lizanne. Okay. She calls and says, I can't be there at the time. So Janine sets up the whole thing. It's going to happen in the middle of a work day. Ubeku is taught a class. He's supposed to be brought out of the class into her office where she and Lizanne will be waiting for him. Uh, the security guards that are not under their purview, they work for the mall, are arranged to be there for that time. And Lizanne calls and says, I can't make it. So now everything gets pushed forward, and it turns out somebody has given him permission to to let his class last for two hours, who she hasn't checked with, which tends Mm. to indicate to me that she's not as great a manager as her former super horny professor seems to think she is. Mm -hmm. I mean... Um, and whatever, yeah. uh, it seems like you would be sure of his schedule. Yeah, right. Um, if you were going to actually schedule something this momentous, and mm-hmm. I, it just it becomes kind of a comedy of bad management and drama, workplace drama errors that conclude with ultimately the event that they were all planning to, including the decision to fire someone in the middle of the workday. When the gym is full of people, that was the thing that really caught me off guard. I was like, the middle of the workday? And they positioned it as though Saturday was somehow this kind of downtime at the gym. I was like... Very not true. That's so not true. So everything about this was was a management fail. She was a bad manager. All of her decisions around this were poor. I mean, if it was going badly, well, then do it a different time Mm -hmm. or wait until the close of business or wait until Lizanne can fucking get over it and show up or tell Lizanne she'll be fired if she doesn't get her ass in there. Um, Mm -hmm. Like Everything about it was just sort of... It was just very half-assed. It was a very poorly managed um, event. And, And I think that 
in the end, you know, one hates to say it, but that really comes down to it's her fault. It was mm-hmm. the managers. I, the bad guy is still the bad guy, but right. but the situation was created mm-hmm. by bad management by the melodramatic attitude at the gym mm-hmm. that I think fueled the pushing incident to begin with. Mm-hmm. So by twelve ten p.m., finally, Ubeko's brought into Janine's office. Uh, she terminates him. He appears blindsided. He gets emotional. He gets particularly offended by the presence of the security guards who escort him off the property. Uh, he goes out to his car. He phones an old friend of his who offers him emotional support. Um, he. I thought the friend called him. Uh, I don't remember. In it's any case, really people important. are... Everybody, like, he has a lot of friends at the gym, and people are very supportive of him. So it's not like he's being just shoved out into the cold. It's a bad situation. But he has support. Yeah. And And, somebody even comes out to him, right? And, and yeah, I think so. He tells—no, I think he's on the—I think he takes two phone calls from his car, and he tells the second friend, I left something in the gym, and I'm going to go get it. And that friend says, no, 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 don't do that, Ubeku. Don't go back in the gym. Ubeku hangs up. That friend calls Janine at the gym and says he's coming back inside, which to me, this is one of the reasons why you don't do this in the middle of right. a work day. Everybody should have gone home. It right, and the doors At the end of the locked. day, the doors are locked. Everybody goes home. Um, uh, Mario Ortiz, who got in the altercation that sort of started all of this, he uh, comes to protect Janine when he sees Ubeku coming back into the gym. Ubeku was demanding access to his locker. They're saying, that's not going to happen. You need to leave. Ubeku complies, goes back to his car, comes back minutes later, and he's got a gun. He shoots Janine several times. Mario rushes to the front desk. He gets shot and killed. Ubeku, I uh, mean, assassinated. I mean, Ubeku, I think, shoots him. Once he's on the, once he's killing, down, yeah. he shoots him a kill shot once he's on the ground. Surveillance footage, uh, actual surveillance footage, which we see, shows the people running in panic. Um, he begins to head for the locker rooms, which is where Mario's girlfriend is. She's been hanging out in the spa while Mario trains. He claims he's looking for a third person. When people cross paths, he's... He says, I'm looking for someone else. He runs into, um, who was it who he ran into? The guy who was actually president is firing. I thought he was dead. Yeah. yeah. Like, she got somebody to sub in for- Right, Miles. For Lausanne. She yeah. got Miles, who was another manager at the at the gym, to sub in for Lausanne when she couldn't show up. But but yeah. he's uh, he actually runs into him, and I thought he was going to kill him. But he was looking for- Author. He was looking for one of that original cabal, right. that gang. And it's not clear if Author is a victim or a target. And we just aren't told enough about Author to understand the implications of any of this. We're not told enough about anyone yeah. in this story. Um, Miles runs back to the front of the gym and he finds Mario is still alive. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I skipped over the most important detail, which is, as you can probably predict, Hubeku takes his own life. Rather than kill Miles. Right. In front of Miles. Right. Like, while he's talking to Miles, he's like, he, yeah. Miles is trying to talk him down and saying, don't do this, don't, you know, put the gun down, like, right. stop. And he shoots himself. Um, Miles runs to the front of the gym, finds that Mario is still alive. He's saying he can't feel his legs and tell my girlfriend I love her. Horrifying. Um, Mario and Janine are airlifted to a nearby trauma center. Uh, they both die from their injuries. Right. I mean, it's the end of this dreadful, horrible story. Okay. But it's like 
somebody told you a really gossipy story from the gym. Like, yeah. to me, this story begins with Uzbeku coming in, Ubeku mm-hmm. coming in and shooting those people. And, like, then we investigate. Right. Like, yeah. that's how, like, but there is no investigation. And Mm-mm. one of the things that I think should be investigated would be the use of performance-enhancing yes. drugs yes. in and around yes. professional bodybuilding because right. there is a dramatic change in this man from the moment he starts pursuing that yes. until the event happens. I just think this is a roid rage moment. Absolutely. That's exactly what I thought. And I think they did too, but they didn't come down on it with any kind of uh, determination. Nobody said it, and nobody, nobody investigated it. it. Nothing about that part of the yeah. story. This was all about he said, she said, gossipy, melodramatic, yeah. gym stuff. I've heard not this story, but you know, so and so got fired and blah blah blah. Right, they right, came right. in and they said yeah. this and they did that and they it was so man. He stormed out and slammed the door. It's like okay, whatever. It's but, very melodramatic. It is that environment. Something about that environment lends itself, yeah, to a kind of gossipy hair salon kind of. Well, it's Milieu. fiercely competitive, right? It's fiercely... They were making statements about the Very. ethics of trainers, and I was like, nobody, you don't poach another trainer's client. I was like, oh my God, that happened all the time. All the time. All the time. It's really... You live or die by your numbers. They're independent contractors. I don't know if they're even salaried. I think they may only make what they make off of their session commission, which at Equinox know. is not enormous, is my understanding. So it's a fiercely competitive environment. You can be replaced at any moment. There's a lot of turnover. And so I think that adds to all of this. But I think you have rightly zeroed in on um, there was there were real flaws in how the hot firing of this man was handled. I just think the management, yeah. there was a complete management fail right. in and around. Like if corporate fired him, wanted him fired, corporate should have fired him. Yeah, exactly. They should have sent somebody from the corporate office to take yeah. him out to lunch and give him the coup de grace. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, this is, again, like, no, you're asking to create hostility in an environment where Uzbeku has allies and friends. So yeah. not only was she going to alienate Uzbeku, but she was going to or Ubeku. I keep making Ubeku, it. yeah putting a Z in it because mm-hmm. I think it's a more interesting name. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll use it for a character one time. Yes, please do. Um, but not for this poor man. Yeah. Um, but it would put her, it would compromise her ability to manage the rest of her staff. And it's a big call. Like it's yeah. like taking sides in an in an inside fight because it was between those two trainers. I, I didn't know if author was the trainer whose client bumped into his client, if mm. that's why he was looking for him, but mm-hmm. whatever it yeah. was. Um, it was, it was just everything about it was screwed up. They did everything wrong. I mean, you have, you're firing the time of day thing is a great, you're point. firing someone who has a history of violence at the gym in a moment where the gym is full of people and it's going to stay full of people. Like, those, security, those security guards, were were they going to hang around the gym for the rest of the day? They worked for the mall. Or were they just, they bring them in for the firing, but they then they let them go. Well, There's they were no... to escort him out to his car. Right, and, they, they, and like, Ubeku's not going to come back and like he did. he didn't did. leave. He, yeah. They didn't even wait with him until he left. They, yeah. It was, everything was wrong. Yeah. It was just. I, it was I just a complete. It. Like it does not excuse Ubeku's. Oh, of course not. Bad behavior or hideous choices, which I think were probably drug induced. Yeah, absolutely. Um, his. I don't think he was in his right mind. Um, but it seemed like. But the, every. But they set up the situation to 
potentially happen. Without regard for the safety of the people at the gym. That's the thing that really got me. You see that surveillance footage of the people running, screaming from a mass, another mass shoot. You yeah. know, it's just awful. And it's like, I, I think Janine should have been protected. I think all of those people should have been protected. But I think somebody needed to be thinking about the other clients at the gym who were traumatized that day by what they went through. And that's, you don't, you don't, I, can, yeah. Yeah, like I think about it like one of the things that I hate most about our gym mm -hmm. is that staircase. Yeah, like, totally. Like if this had happened at our gym, mm -hmm. everybody on the second floor has to go down that one single they staircase to don't. get out of that building. There's a rear exit, and I've thought of this very issue because I have the same fear, but there's a rear exit in between the entrances to the locker room that you can get through. Except it's not open to the general public, and nobody knows that it's there. Well, it's pretty plain. It's in plain sight, and I don't think it has a lock on the door. I think no, the maintenance staff uses it. But nobody it. uses it. Yeah, nobody so uses it Everybody on the second floor would run for yeah. that staircase. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it would be like a single file line. It's a terrible design flaw in that gym. I, I had a recurring nightmare that there was going to be a shooting at our Equinox because I have observed things like this. Not firings like this, but I have observed irrational, stupid fights between amped up trainers or amped up people on the gym floor. There was a, a, a manager of their gift shop who just lost, had a meltdown one day, just started screaming and had to be escorted out. There is, you would think it's this ridiculous, childish environment where people are just doing these superficial things, but but you are at your most insecure. In a city like Los Angeles, you have people whose entire careers are riding on how they look. It's this hotbed of crazy. It is really you know, insane. Like one of the, apparently one of the real um, flashpoints in at least at our gym is the um the annual christmas party oh yeah because the way it's been described to us is you have all of these super hot incredibly yeah. sexualized people in a gang together drinking at some you know uh, out off-site location mm -hmm. and the the potential for jealousy fighting just about anything yeah. um, is really amped up, and they and it happens. People, yeah. the stories after the Christmas party, at least at our gym, are insane. Legend. We could do a whole podcast, yeah. but we'd get it is, sued. It is really, but uh, you know, this is the thing. I think we have a really weird way, and I don't know if we have enough time left to get into this subject. But we have a weird way of talking about substance abuse and addiction in this country, and a weird way of not factoring in the the uh, biochemical impacts of some of these drugs you know there's a there's an argument that most of what we're dealing with with our homelessness crisis and air quotes is a substance abuse crisis that's been supercharged by a new brand of fentanyl that is having bringing families to their wits end with the addicts in their life and they're just kicking them out onto the street and they're pitching tents but i think when we look at crimes like this people don't factor this in it doesn't become a part of the story like why wouldn't they say and clearly performance enhancing drugs led to marked changes in Rebecca's behavior right. they get afraid of getting mental, by the, mental illness and addiction yeah. are these sort of silent mm -hmm. parts of our society that are causing huge problems that I don't think we're addressing at any level yeah I, I don't either. And I think that was very clear in this case. And I think I've had people in my life who have gone on performance-enhancing drugs. You've had people in your family who have gone on steroids for allergy treatment. Oh, my God. Who have become impossible my to deal father, with. My father, and I nearly I was came let to you blows name over them. <laughs> I think it was a Father's Day meal. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, he he was having these sinus-related events, and he kept having these life-threatening events. Mm -hmm. And they would give him steroids to treat the symptoms that were bringing on the event and it would 
it would, you know, mitigate the symptoms and and uh, cut back on his risk. But I was dealing with a father who was on continuing courses of um, of steroids, mm-hmm. and it just changed him. His mood was completely different. And we were there, I think, for a Father's Day meal, and he started in on nobody ever listens to me and blah blah. I mean, we were having a dinner in his honor. Yeah, and he was nobody listens to me and I'm mm-hmm. and I just lost it. I said, "That's it. I'm leaving. I'm going home, and I'm not coming back until you have gone to the goddamn allergist mm-hmm. and actually been tested and find out what the hell is wrong with you and are actually dealing with the problem. That's enough." Mm-hmm. 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 And he. Did and it turned out he had a terrible, terrible, life-threatening, as it turns mm-hmm. out, sinus infection. His sinuses were solid. Oh, my God. They were. He was completely, and they were draining, and yeah. that was what was bringing on a, an asthma that he had never had before and mm-hmm. these life-threatening events. And they had to, they did the what we call the up-your-nose-with-a-rubber-hose surgery mm-hmm. where they went and drilled out his sinuses. I think mm. he just has two now. Oh, God. Two big sinuses so that they could drain everything out, all of the infection. He thought it was tooth problems. I mean, there was all kinds of things for years. Yeah. And they were treating with – the point of the story, though, was he was transformed by taking these drugs that were helping him, but they weren't a solution. Right, right. And he needed to get off of them and move on. And and if uh, Ubaku was taking – and I don't know that he was, but I saw the pictures – Mm-hmm. And he was – it is a risk in and around that world yeah. of people juicing, as I believe they call it, mm-hmm. um, in the, for the bodybuilding. I I just – there was a marked mood change. And there were other factors. Is he, it, it split up his marriage. I don't know if it was the enhancing drugs that split up his marriage or if, you know, mm-hmm. it was just another aggravating factor. And his mother – Having terminal terrible. cancer, there was some there was some bad personal stuff yeah. going on too. None of which was being addressed. Like, no. I, like why wasn't part of the solution that uh, maybe the um, the gym wants to help Ubeku get to counseling, uh, anger management? Yes, absolutely, and deal with some of his problems. And I think that's what him. I'm getting back to is the cut. The depiction of gym management is benign and parental and a family and a gym is a family. These gyms are not families. These are cutthroat, highly competitive environments. And if he was in, and again, not justifying anything he was doing, but if the fear and the and the and that most of the people who work there, the trainers who work there, live in of being cut day in and day after, finally reaches a burning point. You know, things can get really ugly. And if there's no sense of support from management of any kind, I'm just going to show you the door with mall security. Again, I keep feeling like I go, I'm not justifying it. But at some point when you have a horrible crime, you have to do an analysis of what well, led to it. Well, if you incite somebody who yeah. has already demonstrated that they are on the knife's edge and a flash, yeah. and you know, just a an incident away from another flashpoint, if you mm-hmm. incite them yeah. and then they respond accordingly... Yeah, I I'm not. Nothing about this story seems surprising. It's tragic. Yeah, but it doesn't seem particular particularly surprising. I just and and I'll, I'll end it. It's just the middle of the day. Why was it done in the middle of the day? Why Put everybody in the gym and change. Earth was okay. it? There was one little guy who used to work at our gym. I think he went to. I think he ended up joining the military and going to Afghanistan to help. Mm. Um, Nice little guy who's one of the trainers, and he was reacting to another, you know, round mm-hmm. of some dramatic series of meetings at the gym. And he said, 
we have a wonderful job. We come in and work out every day for right. a living. I, I don't understand why everybody is always so upset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, if you do work at the gym, maybe consider lightening up a little. That's our spiritual message for the week. Next week. Lighten the fuck up. Next week, we are doing something a bit different. We're having a birthday celebration or birthday tribute to my late mother, our dear friend, Anne Rice. October 4th will be her birthday. And on October 2nd, we're bringing you a new episode of our podcast. And in tribute to her, one of her favorite movies, which she watched incessantly in her final years, was Gettysburg. And so we are going to... Um, we went on to the page and we asked people, because we are also simultaneously kicking off Halloween season, which was Anne's favorite season, have you ever had an encounter with a force you believe to be supernatural? Have you ever lived through an actual ghost story? If so, tell us everything. And boy, they did. People did. They're coming in. It's, the answers are pouring in as we speak. That's great. Um, and uh, we're going to be discussing a special called Haunted History, The Ghosts of Gettysburg. That's season one, episode two. Not technically a true crime TV club. Not really a what science, but maybe it's more of a sort of general. Kind of in that general way. Yeah. But it was just, it just seemed like a sort of fond tribute to an old friend. I mean, she would watch Gettysburg oh at least once a week. We would get a text. I'm watching Gettysburg in five minutes. Come or down and watch it. We would me. go visit. Do you want yeah. to watch Gettysburg? And we'd be like, no, we no, really we still can, don't. Still, still know. Don't, still, don't. still do not want to watch. We want to spend time with you, but can we please pick can we anything not else? not watch Gettysburg. And not that loud. Yeah. The whole house would the fill whole, up. It would feel like the battle was happening right. downstairs. It was just, and on again, she would go. would be like, yeah. oh, it's Gettysburg again. So God bless her. We will be uh, raising a, a cup of tea, which is what we drink around here, in her honor. And that's next week. And until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Chalk And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.